On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. I was getting phone calls from left, right and centre from different people, person shall name nameless, but was telling me who I was going to play, telling me that there was a certain player that was not to be played. And I, that, that, that conversation ended not so well. When you hear that the game's going to be on national TV, you obviously want to go out and put your best foot forward. You want to play the style of game that you're known to play and that suits your squad and, and the strengths of your squad. And that certainly was the game plan that was in place. And, we arrive over to Parabiagio and the sun is splitting stones and our captain's run is, is fabulous. Goose is like, it's, it's changing, it's changing tomorrow. And it, it honestly was so hard to believe to go from, you know, one day to the next and, and just see you wake up in the morning and absolutely snow, sleet, miserable weather. And weather is just such a great leveller at, at any level of rugby. And Muldoon fires it to touch and is that is Yes, it is! Ireland are the Grand Slam champions. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Ireland, the Six Nations champions for 2013. Hello and welcome to The Left Wing. I'm Sinead Kassan. Now as Andy Farrell's team look to complete a Grand Slam when they play England at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, this podcast wants to celebrate another Grand Slam. It's 10 years ago this week since the Ireland women's team won their first ever slam. A 6-3 win over Italy in Milan on Paddy's Day in 2013 saw this group of players do something no Irish women's team has done before. So this is a special podcast to celebrate that achievement. Captain of the team, Fiona Coughlin, centre Lynn Cantwell and head coach Philip Goose Doyle joined me. I started by asking Fiona if she can believe it's 10 years since they made history. Definitely making me feel very old. Uh, That 10 years have passed since we we did win the Grand Slam, but it it certainly doesn't feel like it, I think, because we're in contact an awful lot. huge majority of us uh, we still have a whatsapp group going around that it'd be pinging every year but geez the years have absolutely flown lynn it, it does feel like a lifetime ago that it happened um and i'm not too sure why yeah i'm not too sure why uh it does feel like a long and i suppose just because a lot has happened in women's rugby since then that's probably why it feels like it's been it's been a big journey even since it happened. Um, so it does feel like a good while ago for me, to be honest. What about you, Philip? Yeah, I'm the, I'm, I'm the same. It does feel as if it's been uh, quite a long time ago at this stage. But but as Fiona said, hearing from the girls so often on that WhatsApp group and bumping into them, like uh, we're all still involved in rugby, so we do get to meet each other quite often. So. It's great when that happens, like meeting up and you always have that bond and good laugh uh, over 
what happened. But for me, uh, yeah, it's been a while. But uh, and a, a lot has happened in women's rugby. Some good, some not so good. But, uh, you know, hopefully good times ahead. To understand 2013, we probably need to go back to 2012 and the first game of that Six Nations against France in Pau and probably the most notorious train journey in the history of Irish rugby. So you flew to Paris on the Friday before the game on Saturday. Now, unsurprisingly, you got stuck in rush hour traffic in Paris, missed the connection for the TGV trip to Pau and had to get an overnight train. So little sleep, didn't land in Pau until 7am, was it? But despite all that, later that day, you lost to France by just a point, eight points to seven. Uh, that's some journey to be put through together. Did that set the tone for this squad? Yeah, it, like it, it's a funny one because I suppose with, with all of those years, you're kind of oblivious to what you're building towards. You know, it's kind of only now you reflect back on it and you kind of see the incremental steps and you see the kind of pivotal moments. Um I think to be fair, and I think we've spoken about that recently, Fee, didn't we? In that, look, we approached a lot of the things that happened, the positives and the negatives, just in a very um, kind of family community approach, you know. So when something was was bad that was happening, we just cracked on with it. Like we always, we always were were said the testament to our management that probably hid so many things from us, you know, and then us as a leadership group, although I don't know if we labeled ourselves as that, we were just having a laugh and trying to keep the spirits light um, and and just going on the the adventure. And, and, and it was an adventure, you know, although we were aware that we had a game the next day, um, you know, you're, you're stuck in traffic, you're, you're, you're chewing on a, Cuisine de France, um, ham and cheese roll in a in a station somewhere, and then jumping on an overnight train with with four of you in a cabin. Um, so that was a bit of an adventure. And um, as I said, the management kind of hid an awful lot from us. But look, on reflecting back on it now, it was a huge pivotal moment because I think what it achieved. We literally went to bed that morning at what seven eight a.m. We were literally told, "Don't don't wake up until you get a knock on the door." We got that knock on on the door about. 10 or 11 o'clock and we went out and played a Six Nations game and, and nearly won the game, you know. So I think it just kind of proved like anything when you're you're pushed far, how far you can go and um, and what we still could achieve. And I think the testament was the type of rugby actually played against that France game, um, which was really a reflection of of how we were building and progressing. Um, and it was a it was a great sign of, of what was to come. I remember today that you must remember that we, in 2010, 11, and into 12, obviously, we were a very, very tight-knit squad. There wasn't a huge amount of change. I had picked that squad. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but maybe one or two people would come in each year, if even. So we'd been through, we, we knew each other incredibly well at this stage. And uh, so we, we were really were tight and like a family. Um, but that was a special, special day. Uh, for us as as from what we learned about each other because uh, like excuse the, the the phrase but the shit did it the fan I, I remember Gemma our manager coming up to me on the coach and she just says I'll be well known I could fly off the handle every now and again she says okay Goose um, you just need to stay calm okay it just I don't care what you need to stay calm and I go what's going on and she said just shut up <laughs> and I went okay grand and, and I did, and and uh, it was because 
it's classic in sport. If your management are freaking out, what do you expect the players to do? You know, they they just do not see need to see this. So, so we were tight, incredibly tight. Yeah, I think the management definitely set the tone of of where we were at in that. I, I remember just being at that train station, and I don't think I really realized the gravity of how bad our prep was going to be going into that game. I was just like, oh yeah, but sure, like we'll get the overnight train and probably a bit of naivety for me I thought it'd be something like the Orient Express that they'd be you know <laughs> nice beds and stuff and that we wouldn't be in bunk beds and stuff I probably didn't realize that we wouldn't get any sleep at the time and then you get on to train you're like right another bit of reality and then when you get at seven o'clock in the morning and then the game had to be brought forward because the pitch was going to be frozen so that added another little dilemma to it as well and um each time there was just a, another barrier another step but I think the the management certainly um laid the platform of how the rest of the squad reacted and it was certainly a huge galvanizing I suppose moment for us and even in the game like we lost by a point but we did try this aloud it was just so it was a game that we we should have won could have won and to be honest with you it the preparation look if buts maybes we still performed really well regardless of horrific preparations but it goes it just goes to show that what we learned about ourselves that day with so little preparation we could still do it so if anything, we gained so much more experience and confidence about ourselves. And just Philip on that, I mean, the RFU accepted kind of quote some responsibility for that debacle um, afterwards. How did things change for the women's team in terms of, you know, stuff like flights and all that, you know, important uh, stuff? Well, I, I hung them out to dry in, in, in the press. Um, I leaked the story in the end because I, I had enough. And if it cost me my job, so be it. But uh, the girls just couldn't, I couldn't stand for that any longer. To be fair to the RFU afterwards, they completely changed their tune, completely. Uh, we had a rule there then, from then on, that we must be in our team hotel within 48 hours of, of kickoff. We'd normally come in the evening before. So we were well used to being treated not so well. So, no, uh, the hotel standards uh, improved and no everything, everything improved from then on. Yeah, it was it was a um, a good kind of turning point, Lynn. I suppose going into twenty thirteen, then I mean we must remind ourselves. I mean the women's Six Nations games weren't on live TV. You didn't have a jersey sponsor. The team had finished third in the Six Nations from twenty or from two thousand nine to twenty twelve. So what were the expectations going into twenty thirteen? Were you you know out to make history? Yeah, it was an interesting, and, and I think this kind of reflects on, on us as people, you know, like um, like Fee and Goose will know I'm probably quite an intuitive person and would have been quite focused on how how can we get better, how can we be the best that we can be, like at a technical level, at a kind of relationship level, how are we doing as a squad and so on. And, and you know, Fee, her strength as a captain is that she's you know, very focused and targeted on the results and the pathway to be able to get there and calculate it. And I think that was a really good balance. And, and I think Goose's strength is that he really was comfortable in our leadership from a peer point of view, and I think that was massive. So if I speak from my lens going into 2013, I was still focused on how do we get better, not seeing that goal at the end, but but but, but what is our process? How do we keep on improving game on, game in, game out? Um, so from that point of view, I think, look, you have more confidence, and I think confidence in the women's game is massive because I think confidence breeds performance. So probably we, we were building in confidence, uh, but we were also building this exceptional brand of rugby and and rugby IQ that was developed, as Goose said, over over a couple of years 
and, and that 2013 year, we just kind of layered every game on top of that, although it was a shaky start with um, against Wales at the start of it. It was it, it was quite it, it was quite a like a progressive build. Um, and each of those games throughout that 2013 campaign, like I, I like I, I don't think that they were a fluke. You know what I mean? It's not that they were easy at all, but they were quite calculated um, so I think I think that's my reflections of 20, 2013. It, it's easy to look back on it and think that it was, um, you know, it was a lucky year or whatever. But like, it's definitely not easy to win a Grand Slam. You know, it, it might be easy to win a couple of games. And obviously we were building them as the years go on. But I think it was quite a, a progressive thing that was was calculated by the end. Yeah, like going into it, like every, every tournament you go in, you say you, you want to lift a trophy, you want to win every game. Realistically, did I think it was going to happen that year? No. Um, I, I really didn't. Um, I didn't know if I'd ever see see a trophy, and I knew that would probably be my second last campaign. Um, there was another galvanizing moment in December of that year. There was when Sevens was coming coming on into play, and there was conversation held between the Sevens squad and some of the Sevens squad we're going to be taken for the last two games, the French and the Italy game. And thankfully the girls that were involved in both sevens and fifteens committed to the fifteens and that we knew that we'd have them for the whole tournament or else there'd be some of them. So again, that was another galvanizing moment that everyone was in it and that the whole squad were in it together. And, um, you know, and even when the tough times happened in that, in that Welsh game and we weren't playing particularly well and Ali Miller's toe, you know, stop to try and, and things like that. We knew that we had the strength within the squad and the belief that in, we were there for each other and we were going to support each other. And um, that's kind of kind of when, when we went from there and, you know, obviously getting over Wales uh, after Goose kicking down the door. Um, and we actually scored probably one of the best tries we scored in the whole championship was it was in that Welsh game that they tried to win it. Um, and things then just kind of steamrolled after that. Just for me going in, we played... The scoreline against England for the last two years, 11 and 12, had shortened down. And everybody, we, we targeted England. Not targeted as in to, to beat them, but targeting to close it in, get that, get that gap even closer. And it was uh, we knew it was getting closer all the time. So for me, going in there was all about the English game, without doubt. Yes. Yeah, so just to remind um, listeners, uh, Philip, so that first game away to Wales and you just about won 12 points to 10. Uh, Gillian Burke got a try because Wales had been leading by three points after uh, 74 minutes. So that was the first win. And then six days later, as you say, I don't think anyone well, from those of us on the outside saw uh, what happened in Ashburn coming for the round two game against England. You'd never beaten England. But you not only go and beat England, but you nilled England at 25 nil and a hat trick uh, from Alison Miller. I'd say you liked the, the nilling of England. Oh, I, I absolutely loved that. Was the be- it was the still still my favourite game ever uh, that English game. I was the defence coach at the time, and uh, to nil England, oh my god, like it was just joy. Uh, we played exceptionally well, and we were relentless in our defence. And and obviously in an attack, but we were just in a different frame mind frame of mind that day, and nothing was going to stop us. And if I remember rightly, the the, the last two minutes of that game was England pummeling us, uh, 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 trying to get trying trying to score. And we I think we defended for two and a half minutes and something like thirty odd phases to keep them out. And that was that was everything. 
that was everything. I remember it was in this Fiona Hayes' first cap, you know, and uh, she coming off. She, this international rugby's easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just beat England first first match. But uh, I remember her in that defensive set. She was exceptional, and that just showed um, the the whole ethos of the squad in their mindset. And then when we beat England, then we knew, okay, now we're on track, big time. Yeah, Ali Miller said she, she dreamed the night before about scoring a hat-trick. I don't know whether she did now. It's all well and easy to say that in hindsight. But, um, yeah, you know, and, right. and that's certainly like, no, again, there was very there was no media coverage really after the Welsh game. But when you go out and do do what we did to England, I think people certainly sat up and started paying attention to us. And that's kind of when the bandwagon really started. Um, you know, it was, it was really informative. Like, and there's no denying England, yeah, we're missing some of their sevens players. But it was still a really strong English team. And from a PAC's perspective, perspective like they were as strong a pack as we'd ever have they didn't lose anyone from their pack and um we outplayed them and I thought I know Ali Ali got the pleasure of scoring the tries but I really thought the pack certainly laid down a platform for the ball to get out there and then Lynn um the win over Scotland in round three 30 points to three to win the triple crown although what there was no actual uh triple crown trophy uh round four against France and Ashburn and of course you know the second last leg in any hunt for a grand slam ca- can be a tricky one you trailed France 10 points to five at halftime, but you scored 10 unanswered points then uh, in the second half to win 15-10. How did you turn that around? And what do you remember what it was like in the dressing room in Ashburn at halftime of that France game? Yeah, look, oh God, do I remember the actual dressing room? I, I don't know. Look, I, I don't think I don't think I remember the dressing room, but I remember the game and what we were trying to do. And even even listening to Goose and, and Fee talk through their memories of of the campaign it's just it's kind of making me reflect on the confidence that we had building through the whole campaign you know and I remember and this might sound really cringy but um you know they talk about like flow when everybody understands a system or everybody understands what everybody else is doing and and if I think that like my center partnership or kind of back three for example there was just there was just such a familiarity and a connection amongst what we were doing and understanding um, and then, as as Goose said, from a defensive systems point of view, there was just this intuitive um, and instinctive understanding of reading each other's body language and and communication and a familiarity around it that you just have this confidence in in what you could do. So, look when 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 France were ahead at half time, I think the the, the focus at half time was on what we could do to change it, and we went out in the second half and, and obviously changed it. I, I like I remember through that era that was like when Neve Cavanaugh was there, Ashley Bla- actually ba- Ashley Baxter, you know Jen Murphy, you know these. I always reflect on you know me and Fee and Goose were the kind of scarred old campaigners that were really clever, but probably like afraid to take chances, you know. Whereas these young girls were coming in and just had so much confidence because of probably the style of rugby that we're playing and didn't know what it was like to fail. Um, and I think that they brought an amazing energy uh, into the campaign, which I think was pivotal in in what we did as well. Yeah, there was a definitely a calmness at halftime. Like Goose didn't have to shout. She was very calm, very controlled about what we were going to go out and implement in the second half. And we were in the game, like even though France were leading, we were very much in the game and um, it kind of ebbed and flowed from one side to the other um so it was, it was definitely very calm and, and measured and uh, like the crowd that was one of my favorite games ever in Ashburn like the crowd there was such a big crowd there and just the atmosphere and it was a really misty eer- eerie kind of night but just the energy from the ca- crowd as well I think we fed off that we uh, our tactic that day was to 
and as a lot of people know, France, they only have one game plan. They don't have plan B. So if you stop plan A, you have a very good chance they're going to get annoyed with themselves and get disinterested. And it was all about their big runners. Remember their their, their number eight? Safian Yeah. Oh, my God. What, what a class player. What a ball carrier. But we just put in a process of the chop tackle. We just said it's all about the ankles. Chop them down low. Get them on the ground. And let's fight for the ball. And so I remember halftime distinctly and coming in and being so happy with the way we were we were in the game simply because of their defence. And then I said, just go out and play. We have them now. They've they've turned. So just go out and play. Enjoy yourselves. Very simple. And that, and that win effectively won you the kind of Six Nations title then with one, one game to go. And then obviously the finale against uh, Italy and Milan, RTE announced that it would uh, show the game on TV, which was the first time an Ireland women's rugby game was shown live on TV. And Linda, you mentioned about how long you'd been around there. Um, did you feel, compared to the younger players in the squad, that you had more to lose or did you feel under pressure more going into that Grand Slam game because he had been around a lot longer? Yeah, again, I think it was kind of the same theme as I mentioned before, is that we never really looked too far ahead, you know, and, and I think I remember going into that game and you, you, we know now the importance of visibility, obviously, in the women's game and what that would achieve and, and what we were trying to do to grow the game. But probably at that point, we, we, we probably didn't know what was possible. Now, unfortunately, because of an electricity blackout in Cape Town where Lynn is based, she was unable to stay with us uh, for the podcast. But we continued on and I asked Philip what it was like for him leading up to that final game against Italy. It was amazing when when we just came off the French game, uh, the media bus suddenly seriously kicked in. But also the RFU Alicadoos kicked in and the committee kicked in and everybody had a bloody view kicked in. And uh, I was getting phone calls from left, right and centre from different people. person shall name nameless, but one was telling me who I was going to play, telling me that there was a certain player that was not to be played. And uh, that, that, that conversation ended not so well. But it was, it was quite unbelievable that um, the pressure, yeah, I felt the pressure a lot coming into that, 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 um, that weekend. Um, so it was a little bit different. And then... Um, yeah, there was a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake, so I had to make sure that. So I was fighting a few a few battles. A few girls were carrying knocks, and obviously the selection was easy. It was going to be more or less the exact same team. I was well known for playing the same people all the time. So, um, but what we didn't allow for was the weather, <laughs> which I'm sure Fiona will step on. But we all saw the weather. But. Um, yeah, it was a little bit different for me. Uh, just a lot more pressure. The weather didn't play ball, did it, Fiona? <laughs> Not at all. Like, just from like, a, I didn't feel a huge amount of pressure going in that week. I suppose we'd won the championship. I know you want to finish, obviously, see it out. And there was no doubt about it. We were a better team than Italy, you know, on paper and on previous performances and things like that. And when you hear the game is going to be on national TV, you obviously want to go out and put your best foot forward. You want to play the style of game that you're known to play and that suits your squad and, and the strengths of your squad. And that certainly was the game plan that was in place. And we arrive over to Parabiagio and the sun is splitting the stones and our captain's run is, is fabulous, brilliant weather. And Goose is like, it's, it's changing, it's changing tomorrow. And it, it honestly was so hard to believe to go from, you know, one day to the next and, and just see you wake up in the morning and absolutely 
snow, sleet, miserable weather. And weather is just such a great leveler at, at any level of rugby. And um, it was just, it was just, I suppose it was disappointing from that perspective that we weren't going to be able to play the game that suited our players and suited our style. And we had to adapt and, um, you know, we did. It was an ugly game of rugby, but we played and we won. And at the end of the day, I, th- I think it kept people gripped. And I don't think anyone cared when you have a trophy at the end. But it is just a shame that when you you watch it back, you're like, oh, this is, it's cat. Like it was poor rugby. For Fee, if you remember, oh, I, I don't know if you'd remember, but I'd obviously do video analysis on, on uh, Italy. And Italy played France in the exact same conditions that, that season. So they were well, and they ran them very close as well. I can't remember the exact score, but uh, I went, oh no, this is such a, a, a banana skin. This is coming. So yeah, we had to change everything for you, didn't we? Like literally on the day, we knew it was going to be bad. I never had an idea how bad it was going to be. Um, I remember actually after the game, when we were leaving, that pitch was a swimming pool. That pitch was completely under a couple of inches of water, completely. It was unbelievable. But we had to change our tactics, didn't we? Yeah. Like it was, it was just, ten yeah, man like rugby. There's, there's so many things I remember. Just I remember even where our team our team meeting was. It was lower level and you could see people's feet walking by. There was windows up there and it was quite an emotional um, you know, team talk beforehand. But running out and I had Joy Neville beside me. And first of all, I saw an English flag on the ground and I was like, Why is there an English flag on the ground? And I was asking, sure, the referee was English. I was mortified then. And then I had Joy Neville beside me bawling, crying. And I was just trying to get Joy composed. I, I didn't realise it was going to be her last game. She didn't tell anyone. And um, I was like, seriously, Joy, you're going to have to pull yourself together. This is ridiculous. And uh, little did I know it was going to be her last game. But yeah, look, and thankfully it was her at the end who went in to turn over that ball. And, you know, that's high risk, high reward. You know, a referee is at a different angle and they see it as her being hands on hands in the rook and things like that but thankfully uh, it went our way and kicked it out and we still had to play on we had to win the line out again and and ensure that we um finished the game out but it was it was unbelievable i think in terms of the people who were there the effort that people went to 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 get there you know we ex players from new zealand we people who changed their honeymoon plans to be there and um yeah it was it was unbelievable and look it was great to have have it on tv i just do wish it was playing the way that we wanted to play just it was just unfortunate that we didn't show the country the actual brand rugby that we we were well capable of playing but i remember in the change room beforehand saying i said for the monster girls in this change room (laughs) if there was ever an effing day this is the day this is it now guys this is your bread and butter this is where you guys have to basically carry us through um, us posh Leinster people, you know. <laughs> I played my club yeah, rugby in Munster Goose. Remember that? So I learned uh, my rugby in Munster. <laughs> no, I remember. I remember really putting the, not putting the pressure on them, but asking like, "This is your day, guys. You've got to come through." And and of course, as, as Fee alluded to, there, uh, no better than join Neville to go in and they, they Italy were picking and going and getting closer and closer to the line, and it was either going to be a penalty or a try for them. And Joy just right girl, right time fantastic experience like she's an absolute legend and an amazing rugby player so intelligent and she went in for a ball and and we got the penalty and the rest is history yeah it was it was incredible and a year later at the world cup first ever win over new zealand fourth place finish you know just incredible and you know 3v um 
all finished up with the national side then after that. And when you talk about legacy and Lynn had touched on it earlier, Fiona, but even from that day in 2013, I mean, the number of people you would hear, girls and women who saw ye that day on the TV. And that was the reason why they took up rugby, that they started playing. Yeah, look, I, I think a lot of times people weren't exposed to it for years. Like when I started playing, I didn't even know women played rugby. Um, and that was probably the same for a lot of people until they, you know, were exposed to it, whether they were going to college or whatever, they didn't know where they existed. And then for a huge cohort, it wasn't until they saw it on television. And um, yeah, like it made a significant difference in not just players picking it up, but also fans supporting it, sponsors coming into it and that whole circle of people that you need involved in order to grow the game and, and continue to grow it. So it was huge that it was on national TV. But then on the follow on from that, it was important for us that we weren't these one hit wonders that we had to go out and continue it on. And that the next year and that World Cup getting to a semi final, like top four, that's where I felt we were ranked in the world. Um, and anything after that, you know, you need a bit of luck on your side. And we didn't perform in the semi-final, but I suppose we hit the targets that we are probably fourth in the world is where we were at. Would have been nice to beat France on that day. I think we could have beaten France, but, you know, overall, over the space, but they probably were a better team. What was it like then? I mean, you made such history at that at that World Cup in twenty in twenty fourteen. And then afterwards, I suppose look disappointment at the home World Cup um tournament and then not qualifying for the next one. Um what was that like kind of watching then you'd stepped away obviously uh from the national team at that time? Personally it was, was gut wrenching to watch it all unfold in front of your eyes and it, it certainly wasn't a waste of time in my life or any of the girls. What we did was exceptional and I'm incredibly proud of what we achieved. But just to see it the way it was, it just went downhill from there. It's just unacceptable, really. Uh, all we wanted to do, all we ever wanted to do was was to leave it for the next um, generation to bring it to the next level. Unfortunately, we went back, not forward. But look... It is what it is. Hopefully now we've really got our, um, we've really got a, a, I think right now we just got to be really patient. Like everybody's can be so irate and and so short minded. We just got to be patient now. It's a huge influx in in the women's game at the moment. And it's going to, and this professionalism is starting to come in now. It's just going to take a number of years for it to, to come through. Could have happened six, seven years ago. Absolutely. But unfortunately not. Yeah, for me, like, you know, sometimes I I don't know whether our squad should be the reference point of where women's rugby was at in Ireland. I think the success came from our squad and our squad alone. I don't think there was much, there wasn't much done with regards to pathways and development into a squad. So when our squad, like, you know, a couple of people filter away or management filter away, I just don't think that that pathway was there to filter into it. So I think the reference point is wrong to use that squad and think that you're going to have continued success when you don't have those pathways there and those pathways weren't there and only now we're seeing it and it's great I saw a job advertisement last week for um, pathway development coaches in each of the provinces and strength and conditioning so now younger girls can come in and they can see the path of where they need to go to get to international level and then when they get there, there is an opportunity of it being their job and a profession as well. So, you know, it's, it is slow and there will be more mistakes made down the line, but hopefully we're, we're in the right kind of path now, as opposed to just relying on the upper echelons and that international team for success that the pathways are there to lead into it. 
And I suppose, Fiona, we've got the six, Women's Six Nations um, around the corner as well. And mentioned there about the contracts. I think there's like 10 specialist 15s on contracts uh, with the IRFU. And I remember last year when Ireland played Wales in the opener at the RDS and a few of the Irish players, they had been on full-time contracts by a few months at that stage. But I remember a few of the Irish players said they noticed the difference in the fitness of the Welsh players. Do you expect to see a difference in the Ireland team coming into this Six Nations now? But Because there, there is a mix and match. We have you know Irish players remaining with their clubs in the UK. How do you think it will have or will it have an impact on the difference in performance we'll see with the Irish women's team going into this Six Nations? To be honest, I didn't think Wales were fitter last year. I just thought they were more experienced and they played a very, they played to their strengths. They played to their pack, went to their line-out mall and they got success off that. I, I really didn't think that they were fitter. But yeah, like it's a very young squad. There's lots of new faces in this Irish squad going in. Um, he hasn't named any of the sevens players, which to be honest with you, I think not that they're not good enough, not that they wouldn't add to a team. But when you're trying to develop to a, a squad... I think players coming in and out like that fashion that they did last year is not good for the development of a squad. So that's probably the right thing to do is keep it that whoever's going to be there is available for the the five matches. Now, I could be wrong whether they've been brought in for the last two or not. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I think we will see some improvements. But as I said, they're lacking a huge amount of experience. Yeah, they went on the tour to Japan, which was brilliant for them. But Six Nations, that tournament is, is so much t- tougher than a summer tour to Japan. So um, it's going to be tough for them and it's so important that Ireland finish in the top three for that world WXV competition that takes place next um, autumn you know just that you're playing then at a high, higher level in the autumn as well so a huge amount of pressure on a very young squad um, but I do think they'll have been in for a good couple of months now the girls that are in, in England are playing premiership which is a higher level and training um, you know, they're not on huge amounts of money in England. So I think this is a flawed thing that they're on big money over in England. Some of them aren't even on um, a salary. It'll just be bonuses for playing. So, um, But the fact is they're playing week in, week out at a higher level. So now it's about bringing them back and marrying all together. Um, there obviously was the combined province and tournament between the Thistles in Scotland and Wales, which Ireland won, which was great. Um, but I thought the standard of the Interpros was actually better than the standard of that combined, combined provinces uh, game. So... Yeah, it's 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 going to be tough, but they're going to really have to focus on those three away games. I just don't see them being anywhere near England and France. And what do you think, Philip? And obviously, of course, Greg McWilliams was the attack coach when he won the Grand Slam. And I remember you being very complimentary yeah. about that uh, back in in 2013. And Fiona touched on like the sevens. And I can only imagine it must be very frustrating for Greg not to have the sevens available. Where do you sit on that? And do you think it's right for them maybe not to be involved? They're going for Olympic qualification, of course. Yeah, so I, I think I agree with uh, Fiona. I, I think they shouldn't be brought back in I think they should be a separate entity. I've always thought that. Uh, now, uh, Greg has now got her, his squad together. Uh, let him at it now. So let him develop those caps, uh, get experience into into this particular group, and uh, let them have their own identity. If he needs, if needs be, yes, bring him possibly in for one or two games, but not on mass. It's only on an individual basis, if 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 even. Uh, I think that they will struggle. I think Ireland will struggle in the Six Nations, uh, obviously against uh, the two biggies, but I still think they'll, they'll also struggle in, in, in the three away games. Uh, I don't think they have enough experience. The, the Japan tour, uh, for me, wasn't a, a huge success. 
they won one game, uh, but and they lost another one quite heavily, and and there was Japan, and Japan ain't no Six Nations uh, team, so I, I worry a little bit uh, about it. From an experience point of view, having the English Premiership girls, that's a definite plus. They will definitely bring in a, a, a better a better level. Um, but these new contracts that have been brought out, they're, they're, they are involving quite young players, and you may not even see any of them uh, this year. They're just still in development. So he's got his work cut out. It's going to be tough for him. It's going to be very tough. But uh, uh, look, we have to be very patient here and give the man time uh, to, to, to breathe this particular group, get a lot of experience in there as much as possible and not too much chopping and changing. Uh, well, we, we do uh, wish them the best of luck. Just before we go, um, so obviously, you know, as we said, 10 years uh, marking your Grand Slam. Is there anything organised? Are you organising anything yourselves to try and mark the occasion? They're just organizing a night to abuse me, basically, verbally, and tell me how bad I was and why did you drop me and all that kind of stuff. That's basically what that night's going to be. Abuse that sounds like night. a great night. We're trying to get something organized either. Hopefully the men will be going for a Grand Slam on St. Patrick's weekend or else down in Cork on the 22nd when Ireland women play England. Um, it's it's difficult enough getting everyone all together again, but if we can get as many people as possible, but uh, we'll try and organize something. It's unofficial, though. Nothing, nothing official. They're better. The unofficial ones are better. Uh, well, this is true. This is true. Absolutely. Fiona, Philip and Lynn, thank you very much for, for joining us tonight. Cheers. Thank you. My thanks to Fiona, Philip and Lynn. Archive clips used in this podcast were from RTE. Now we continue our build-up to Saturday's finale Ireland against England in the Men's Six Nations tomorrow. Will and Luke will be here and they'll have an interview with Enda McNulty, former sports psychologist with the Irish rugby team and former England international Alex Corbusiero. That's it for now. Thanks for listening.